0: i've just i've just been doing i've been in a lot of thinking lately and um you know this last six months to a to a year has been really uh it's been really interesting we've had um probably for you guys as well uh, had a number of highs and and uh, also had a had a few challenges along the way as well and uh, lots of people today i think are facing a few challenges but uh in the midst of it i know that God is doing a great work amen amen <laughs> and uh, one of the things, um, uh, things about uh, testing times and, and times of pressure, it, it just gives you a chance. It gives you the opportunity to be able to, to do some self-examination and to be able to look into your own life and to, and, and to make some uh, necessary adjustments. And uh, so I've just been really uh, looking into my own life and just, um, uh, just I've been challenged by a number of things about what God has been speaking to me about. And, uh, and I believe that we are in the most exciting times of our lives right now. I believe that, uh, you know, for me personally, and I know for you as well, that although you may face um, uh, challenges and and, and whatnot, I believe that right now is the most powerful, interesting time of your life. And together as a church, I reckon right now is uh, just such an exciting time. I believe that God is wanting to enlarge you and to grow you and to lift you up into a new dimension. I'm believing for this church to, to grow and to increase into the into the thousands and up and up to 2,000. I believe we can absolutely do it without a doubt. And uh, so I've been uh, just thinking and uh, just listening to uh, going over some of the messages that have been preached over the last little while. And um, I want to talk about something this morning that uh, that God has been spe- uh, personally speaking to me about. And uh, started off with uh, uh, Randy Demain when he was here. One of the scriptures that he brought out. Uh, really spoke to my heart and uh, really started to challenge me. So I want to bring that out with you this morning, and um, I pray that God will challenge you and uh, lift you up as well. Amen? Great. You got your Bibles with you this morning? There's a few that got their Bibles. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We, we brought one for you, and uh, so I believe it will be up on the screen very, very soon. Wonderful. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 said Pastor Randy uh, brought this verse out while he was here and uh, talked about the keys of the kingdom, keys to uh, unlock and to close up. Uh, but I want to just take off a, uh, a different part of that this morning, and uh, it's going to be great. Wonderful. Here, here Jesus is walking. Um, Jesus is walking on the earth at this time, and uh, he'd started to uh, do a number of miracles. he, he preached and taught on the kingdom of God and this, the kingdom that had come amongst us, and uh, a lot of people. Had, he started to turn the world upside down, and a lot of interesting things started to happen. Um, you see that for thousands of years, the, uh, different prophets had prophesied that there was going to be a Messiah that would come and and um, and uh, and bring freedom and set up a kingdom on earth. And uh, so it was a, So Jesus had come. Jesus was the promise that uh, that had been uh, prophesied for a number of years. And uh, here he is, he'd come onto this earth and he started to walk amongst us. The Bible says that the word, the scripture became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And uh, so Jesus was walking on the face of the earth and started to bring a dimension of the kingdom of God like nothing else had ever been seen. And so the the whole world started to get turned upside down and people were talking about this, uh, about this new man who was bringing a new, uh, bringing this kingdom to earth. And so he's walking along the road with his disciples and and he turned to his disciples and he said, guys, who do people say that I am? What's, what's the go out there? What are, what are people saying? What are people talking about me? What's, what's the word on the street? Come on, fess up. What's going on? And, uh, and so they started to say that some say you're a Elijah, some say you're this, some say that you're a teacher, some say that you're a prophet. And then he goes to them and says, but guys, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Am I just a figment of your imagination? Obviously not, but who am I to you? Who am I to you? And then Jesus, And then Peter turns around and says, Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, "'You are the Christ, you are the anointed one, "'you are the, you are the, you are the promise, the, the son of the living God.'" And um, Jesus, in verse 17, turned around and answered to him, "'Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, "'for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, "'but my Father who art in heaven.'" In other words, Peter got this revelation that this is not no ordinary man. This is not just a good man. He is not just a teacher. He is not just a prophet. But he is the promised one. He is the one that was sent from God. He is the one, the redeemer of mankind. He was and is the Christ, the anointed one. So he gets this revelation. And, uh, and, and, and so Peter says to you, uh, he says, Blessed are you, for, this, for, for flesh and blood has not revealed the to you has not revealed this to you, and I say to you that you are Peter, you are Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock on this level of foundation on this on this revelation on this this revelation that the Holy Spirit has brought to you that no other person has brought to you but this revelation that that God only God from heaven has given to you this revelation I tell you what peter I tell you what i 'm going to do with this revelation i 'm going to start to bring and start to bring together a whole bunch of people. I'm gonna to start to go into every culture. I'm gonna to start to go into every nation. And I'm gonna go even head out to I'm gonna head out to New Zealand and I'm gonna to go to Hastings and I'm gonna find a whole bunch of people. I'm going to collect a whole bunch of people. I'm going to get some Indians and I'm going to get some South Africans and I'm going to get some Americans and I'm going to get a whole bunch of people from different uh, different parts of the community. I'm going to get people that don't really have much in common together and I'm going to put something inside of their hearts and I'm going to compel them to come together in one place. I'm going to get people like Sergeant from India. I'm going to bring them from over here, and I'm going to orchestrate it so he comes to this place. I'm going to get people like Henrietta, and I'm going to get people like Andrew, and I'm going to get people like Andrew Dodds from Zimbabwe. I'm going to get a whole bunch of people, and I'm going to bring them together in one place. And they're going to be a whole bunch of colors, and they're going to be from a whole bunch of backgrounds, and they're going to have a whole bunch of different giftings, but all of them will have one thing in common. They will have a revelation of Jesus the Christ. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring them together in Hawke's Bay and Hastings, and then I'm going to bring other people together in in other parts of Hastings and other parts of New Zealand and other parts of the world, and I'm going to call it my church. I'm going to call it my church. I'm going to call this bunch of people my church. This is the one that I will build my church on, and it says here, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm telling you right now, friends, Sergeant, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Friends, see, the thing is, it's like we take the word church often and use it in a very general context. But it is not an institution. Church is not an institution. It is not a club. It is the family of God, which out through it, his kingdom is extended and established. So instead of taking the word, using the word church, personalize it. Personalize it. Personalize it. It's like uh, Henrietta, I'm going to take you and I'm going to build you. I'm going I'm I'm to put something inside of your life and the very gates of hell will not prevail against you. And Pete and uh, Andrew Dodds and Sarah, I- I'm going to put something inside of your heart. I'm going I'm to establish a, a revelation of who I am and I'm going to draw you into this place and I will send you into a place and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Andrew, I'm going to put you in a place and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Very easy to take it out and to put it into a general context. But actually, the church is a whole bunch of people, little pebbles brought together that together make a strong pillar. So as a pillar, as a little pebble, you might not be able to do much. But when you come together, when we come together as the body of Christ, the church... The family of God for which the kingdom will be extended. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Right now we're in a place in the in time in history where we need the church. We need people like you to come together. We need people like you to get a revelation of Jesus Christ. We need people like you to stand up as the church. And bring the kingdom of God into the community. Right now there's different gates of hell in our community and and there's poverty and sickness and oppression and fear and all these different things. and But God has put you in this place. God has anointed you to come into this place that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Title of my message this morning is They Shall Not Prevail. (laughs) They Shall Not Prevail. And um, as I started to read about this and started to look in... um, I get a picture of a, of a church with, with, with strong, it's strong and it's got incredible momentum that nothing will prevail against it. No gate of hell shall prevail against it. It builds a, it builds a picture of something strong with momentum and power and focus it's punching its way through. Then um, there's nothing can can stop it. That is the picture that Jesus Christ is painting of his church. of Something that is strong, powerful and momentum with momentum. So I started to look at this and say, well, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? I mean, it's great that the church, it's, says the church, but I am the church. I am. I mean, I'm, I'm part of the church. I'm, I'm, me as an individual, and, and you, what does it mean for me? For me to have direction, that, for me to have substance inside my life that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against me. So I started to think about this, and there's, there's three things that, um, that I believe that, that God has spoke to me out of this, uh, out of this piece of scripture um, uh, But what I want to do is just for this morning, just focus on one of them and um, and maybe Pastor Mike will pick it up next week or we'll do something later on. But there's three main keys that we've got to have for, uh, that we've got to build into our life in order for us to be the church, for us to be the people that God has called us to be. First one, for us to have momentum, for us to have power that breaks through the gates of hell, first thing we must have is direction. Too many people and too many churches are like a little coin that's been spun on a table, and all they do is just go round and round and round in circles until they run out of energy and then flop on its side. <laughs> all fast and spinning for, for a little while, but actually just run out of energy. That is not the church that God has called us to be. First thing we've got to have is direction. Direction. The thing about direction is this. First of all, we've got to learn we must set our direction intentionally. You must set your direction intentionally. You and I have been given uh, the power of, of of choice by God, because He loved us so much. He gave us the the choice of the free will choice. You can choose to believe. You have the you have the power of choice. You can choose your destiny. You can choose how your life will be. You can't always choose how you come into the world, but you can choose how you will live your life. You can choose how you will enter this. How you can. How your life will be lived on this earth, you have the power of choice, which is an incredible strength It's an, it's an incredible opportunity. We must set our direction intentionally secondly we 've got to make sure that first of all that our our, our direction is is towards the house of the kingdom of God. We must make sure that it 's directed towards the the house of the kingdom of god there's two parts to this this one here the other thing we and having our direction set towards the house of the God, we must also be on the right track. We've got to know, you've got to know what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. (laughs) All of us are called for specific reasons, for specific purposes. You've got to know what you're called to do. The whole thing about understanding our calling, it's it's a whole different subject again. But just briefly, a lot of the times we... I mean, it's a big question that a lot of people have in their hearts. What am I really called to do? And often we look up to the sky and look up way out here that there's this great big calling that God has for you and I to walk in. And we've, we, because we're looking so far out there, we actually miss it. <laughs> so the kingdom of God is, is, operates like a seed. And often what we're called to do, and I believe this, that what you are called to do as an individual starts off as a seed. It's already in your hand. It's not... It doesn't start as something big right out here, but actually starts as a seed that's already in your hand, something that's already familiar to you. And sometimes it can be so familiar, you tend to overlook it. But actually, it starts as a seed and grows to a tree that will fill the whole garden. So you've got to know what you're called to do. When, um when the, uh, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, uh, the first thing that they did, as soon as Israel left Egypt. The first thing God said for them to do is to build a tabernacle. In other words, to build me a house. I want you to build me a house. They come out of 430 years of slavery, knew nothing else but to make bricks, knew nothing else. The first thing God asked them to do was build a house. Why? Because he wanted their direction. He wanted their focus to be primarily, first of all, on God, on the, building him a house, building him, building his kingdom. And see, the thing is about about the kingdom of God is there is unity within diversity. So when the children of Israel came out, there were 12 tribes, and every one of those 12 tribes had a unique call. Every one of those 12 tribes had a, had a, a, a unique calling that was just for them. They were all different, but they were all centered around the tabernacle. They were all centered around a central point, the house of God. So that each and every one of them had a specific calling and a specific purpose. Some were set up to, to rule and to judge. Others were set up to praise and, and to worship. Others were set up, they had it in them to, to be fighters. Others were set up for them to do different outworkings. But it was different outworkings, different calls, but still centered around the house of God. The thing is, it's no different today. As soon as they built left Egypt, God, God said to build a tabernacle. As soon as they entered the promised land, the first thing God said was to build an altar. Go and get 12 stones from the river and build a, 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 build a memorial offering before, to the Lord. Why? Because he knew that once they entered the promised land, once they started to experience the blessings and the promises that uh, they'd so, so longed for, they knew that they, they would still need a focus point. They would still need to remember where they'd come from. So they built an altar out of 12 stones. And that was a place where they, again, where they came and met with God. And they remembered that this was the God, Jehovah, that brought them out of slavery of 400 years. And they brought them into a land of promise. When you come out of Egypt, one thing, that God said, build an altar. Again, bring your attention, bring your focus back on the presence of God. Another time, when they went to Babylon, they, again, they got taken to captivity in Babylon. Um, the first thing that God said to them when he brought them out of captivity, out of Babylon, was to restore my house. In Ezra chapter 3, he talks about, when you come out, restore my house, rebuild the house that was pulled down. Every time God brought them out of something, out of a place of, out of slavery or out of, out of a place of captivity, God said, build me a house. Why is that? Your direction in life determines everything. Your direction in life determines everything. There's a saying out there today, and it says that your attitude determines everything. It determines some, but it doesn't determine everything. I've actually, you know, I've walked through life, and I've, I've seen a lot of other people life walk through life, and they have very, very positive attitudes, but they've ended up in a mess. Why is that? Because the choices and decisions that they made, the direction that they took led them up into a mess. They still had a positive attitude, but they were in a mess. Why? It's the decisions. Your direction in life will determine everything. You can get to the end of your life and have a positive attitude, but unless you've made some good choices along the way, it actually won't amount for much. Your choices, your direction in life determines everything, not just your attitude. That's why in the Bible, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, uh, "'Therefore, let us walk in the Spirit.'" Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. Friends, let me tell you something. Everybody is created a spirit being. Whether they're saved, whether they're unsaved, whether, wherever they are in life, everybody is created. A, a, well, we are a living spirit. You are a spirit being. Everybody. So, if you are a spirit being, everybody then will walk in the spirit to a certain extent. Walking in the Spirit is not just a mystical thing that only a few holy people can do. It's it's not about that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about walking in the Spirit. The Spirit, spelt with a capital S, means it's the Holy Spirit. Every person walks in the Spirit to a certain extent. The question is, what Spirit do you walk with? Walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, walk in relationship with, walk under the covering of, walk in or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So every person walks in the Spirit to a certain extent. The question is, what spirit do they walk with? So when people are unsaved, they are, they are, they are led by other spirits. But even when people get saved, when you and I get saved, we, we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, and He does come into our life. But we still have a choice of which spirit we will our people here or there's all spirits that will come around our lives and try and influence us even though the holy spirit lives within us you still have an opportunity you still have to make a choice of what spirit you walk in relationship with some people they they are filled with the holy spirit absolutely no doubt about it but they actually walk in relationship under the influence of another spirit Why is it that there's so many people, so many Christians, although filled with the Holy Spirit, still struggle with with all these different um, uh, demonic bondages in their life? Why? Because they walk, they choose to walk in unity, choose to walk in agreement with another spirit. You choose it. And maybe you may be influenced that way, but you still choose it. You still have the power of choice. So Paul says in Galatians 5, walk in the spirit, walk in relationship, walk in the direction, walk with the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence when people walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit. There is joy, there is peace, there is life. David said in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He leads me down the path of righteousness. He leads me beside the still waters. He was a man, one of the greatest kings that ever lived, but he allowed himself to be led By the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. And as a result, he was led down the path of righteousness. He was led down the path beside still waters. Friends, all of you here today are led by the Spirit. It's just what spirit are you led by? What spirit do you allow to give direction to your life? Remembering that your direction in life determines everything. Therefore, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us walk in relationship with the Spirit. What does it mean to walk? Well, to walk means to take one step and put another foot in front of it. And it's a progression of steps that you take. What are steps? The steps that we make are choices that you and I live, the choices that you and I make in life. Every time you make a choice, you make a step. When you make another choice, you make another step. And it's not always the major big choices that we make in life, although they do influence us. It's often the little steps that we make. That will determine your direction. Because you, every one of us, every day, make a whole pile of decisions. And all of those decisions lead us somewhere. They will lead you somewhere. So as you make a decision, you are, as you make a, a step, you are making a, a decision. You are making a choice. And those choices will determine your direction. If you look at the path of a ship, When a ship is making a journey, there's a number of different waypoints that it makes. Whenever it makes a waypoint, it's a decision to turn the ship. You can tell where a ship is going by looking at, you can get a general idea of where the ship is heading towards by looking at the decisions or the waypoints which it's made in the past. You can tell where your life is going to go by the direction, by some of the decisions that you make. Not always the big ones, but most of the time it's the little ones. It's your direction in life. That is most important. If your direction is leading you away from the Lord's house, then it must be leading you into captivity somewhere. If you look at the, the, um, the history of the Israelites, whenever they worshipped and their hearts and direction were focused on the Lord, they lived in peace, they lived in blessing. But whenever they started to turn away and start to get influenced by other spirits or other, other things and, 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 and got their focus off the things of God, they actually got themselves into bondage and captivity. If it happened then right there, it happens today, right now, even amongst the church. amongst you and I, whenever our hearts and focus and our and our, and our direction heads away from the house of the Lord, uh, from his kingdom, if it's we get led into captivity. And the thing about this about deception is this, that you don't even know that you're being deceived. And when you try and point something out to somebody, they're actually in deception. If they're in deception, most of the time you get a, a, quite a good denial, I am not. <laughs> hmm. that, is the, that is the cunning thing about deception. You don't know that you're being deceived. You often don't know that you're even in captivity until, until such time as, you, as that is revealed or shown to you or the, the time that, you discover, that you, when you discover it. So if you are not, if you're, like with the Israelites, so if their attention was not on the Lord, they got, brought, they got brought into bondage at some point. Now, there are three different um, places of bondage that I just want to talk about with you this morning. Three different captivities. The first one was Egypt. 435 years in captivity in Egypt. Now, when we talk of Egypt, we're talking about um, a, captive, a captive flesh. See, the Bible talks about that um, Egypt. Uh, if you look in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, let's quickly turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Three captivities. First one, the lust of the flesh, Egypt. See, so the thing is about this, that all of us are born, into, uh, are born into Egypt, figuratively speaking. The Bible says that through one man, all have sinned. Egypt speaks of living in the flesh or captivity of the flesh. It talks about, uh, about sin, living in a place of sin, living in a place where you don't know God, living in a place of captivity. The Bible says because of one man's sin, Sin entered into the world, and all have sinned. But it also says because of one man's act of righteousness, righteousness is available to all. See, every person today, at some point, you're born. You're born into a place of slavery. You're born into a place of confinement. You're born into a place of sin. But praise God that Jesus Christ came into this earth, and he carried this message the message he carried, the primary message that Jesus Christ carried, found in John 3, verse 3, talking to Nicodemus. is He said, you must be born again. Because ev- everyone is born into sin. Everyone is born because of Adam, now born into captivity of sin and flesh. So when Jesus Christ came into the world, Nicodemus asked him this question, what must I do to get into the kingdom? How do I get to access this, this kingdom that you speak of? Jesus said that you must be born again. Why? Because you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born out of captivity and be born into the things of God. So the whole message of the Bible really is about the redemption of mankind. You must be born again. You cannot live the life that God has called you to live. You cannot be the person that God has called you to be without first being born again. We must be born again must be born again. We must be born again. The message of Jesus Christ, you must be born again. That message is, is echoed right through the Bible when you look at, um, when you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And Paul is saying this, he says, therefore, do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man, the, the body is, is starting to get a bit wrinkly and starting to get a bit old and Bits are starting to fall off and get a bit saggy, and we're just starting to lose shape. <laughs> don't lose heart because your body is starting to maybe get a bit stiff in the joints. We're starting to put on a little a uh, little bit of extra stuff over here. And uh, he said, don't, "Don't be overly concerned about that. But take joy in this. Take joy in this, that even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the real you, your soul, your spirit, the real part of who you are. The inward man is being renewed day by day. So even though your outside may be falling apart or, or doing what it does, and gravity seems to be taking over, please take heart because inside, if you are born again, that means that the Spirit of God is living within you and He is doing a, a great and mighty work within you. Every day your spirit, your soul is being renewed, that making made new day by day by day. It's, make, it's, it's getting into the different parts of your soul and the different parts of your life and, and taking out this and, and starting to renew day by day by day by day. By day. By day. Every day. Even while we sleep. Spirit of God working inside of your life. Renewing your life. It also says in, in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, not just a couple of people, not just the Pentecostal Christians, not just, he's talking about anyone. Anyone, anyone of you here today, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has been born again, been born of the Spirit, You've made a conscious decision to let go and to, to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and to be born again. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is, is in walking in relationship with the with the Holy Spirit, is, has got a relationship with Jesus Christ. If anyone is in relationship with Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. If you are in Jesus Christ, that means whatever. You've come from in your past, whether it's been a lifestyle of drugs. Maybe you were a drug dealer. Maybe you were a prostitute. Maybe you were just a, your life was tied up in alcohol. Maybe um, you came from a gang. Maybe you, uh, you've, you've been divorced or had a broken family, something like that. Maybe you've just made some really big mistakes in your life. Maybe you've just made a big mess of your life. The Bible says here, that if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are not that person that you used to be. You are not that person that you used to be. You're not that alcoholic that you used to be. See, the thing about the devil is this. He will try and take your focus off what God has called you to be and take your, put your focus back on what you used to be like. You are not the person that you used to be. If you are born again, if you are born into the spirit, into the family of God, you are not that person. Paul was a man that murdered people, that killed Christians all over the place. But yet he had the revelation that he is a new creation. And he states these things, he, he states in the scriptures that I am innocent of the blood of all men. It's not denying his past, but what it's professing is, I am not that man. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ. That lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. See, when you get that direction, when your direction is on the house of the Lord, when you get that revelation that you are a new creation, you're not that drug addict, you're not that alcoholic, you're not that angry man anymore. You are a new creation. You are a new creation, born of the Spirit of God. You're not that failure. You're not that prostitute. You're not that person anymore. You have been made new. Behold, I make all things new. You don't need to live with that stuff, the baggage of the past anymore. If you are born again, if you are born of the Spirit, that means you are truly that you are born again. You are a new creation. Oh, come on. If you want to give Jesus some praise about that, why don't you give Jesus some praise? in Galatians sorry in Philippians 3 verse 13 Paul says again these words he says one thing i do I mean there's lots of things i could do but there's one thing i do do <laughs> one thing i really make an effort one thing i really purpose in my heart is this i forget the things that are behind i forget the things that i used to do i forget the old me that old me is gone i forget Forgetting the things of the past. See, the thing is, the devil will always try and bring your past up. He'll always show you snapshots of what you used to be like and try and convince you into believing that you are still that person. Because the reality is that all of us still have struggles that go on inside. And when he starts to show us snapshots of what we used to be like, we we start to... it starts to influence our soul and starts to influence our belief systems and we can start to think that we're actually still the same person. No, you're not. One thing I do, forget the past. One thing I do, I put the past behind me. Second thing I do, I focus my my attention on the the upward call of Jesus Christ. See, I'm telling you, friends, today that the call of Christ is always upward in your life. If something is pulling you down, then it is not of God. See if God is wanting to pull you up into greater things, the upward call of Jesus Christ. I push forward into the things that He has for me. I push a direction of forward. See, friends, your direction will determine everything, and those cho- your direction will be determined by your choices, and your choices are determined by your belief system. That is why it's really important for you to be a strong. Um, a strong individual, for us to be a strong church that, that the gates of hell will not prevail against. We've got to know what we believe. You've got to have that belief inside of your heart that I am a new creation. It's no longer I that lives. And I press forward towards the mark. I press upwards towards the call of God. If something else is calling you down, it's not of God. You've got to get rid of it. When we, ret- we return to Egypt... When we live out of what our flesh desires. Now, we live in a community today that is incredibly sensual. You know, the flesh really only desires just a few things that that makes it feel good. Food, sleep, and sex. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's why it's so prevalent in our community today. See, God has created those sensations in our life for us to enjoy. The problem is when we start to let them overtake us and let them dominate our life, and when we start to walk in the nature of the flesh, that is when we get into bondage. Even though we're a Christian, every, even though we still get, we're born of God, we still have temptation. We still have the choice. You still have the decision whether you'll walk in, this, in the nature of the flesh or whether you'll walk as a son or daughter of God. We still have the choice of what spirit that we're walking. We return to Egypt. We return to captivity. When we start to give in and start to give in to the desires of the flesh. It doesn't mean that we don't, you know, enjoy those sorts of things. For those people that are married, it's great. Problem is when it starts to take over our life. It starts to lead us. That's when it becomes a problem. The second place of captivity was the wilderness. They were victims of their own captivity. They they brought themselves into captivity talks about the wilderness, talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of our soul. There's always things in the world today that are really appealing to our soul. (laughs) Pastor um, Pastor Shane Willard talked about what iniquity means, and he drew the picture of an eye and a hook and a fish multiplied. Whatever our eye hooks to, multiplies. There are so many things in the world today People are offering, you look look at the advertisements on TV, on the the media and things like that. They're not really selling you a product. They're actually selling you a lifestyle. They're trying to hook your soul. Because everybody somewhere is looking for significance. Everybody somewhere is looking for a sense of value. And when people start to find their value extrinsically, externally, and what they have or what they do, you start to become captive to that the deceitfulness of of riches. Nothing wrong with riches itself. Nothing wrong with being a wealthy steward. That's fantastic. The problem is when we start to get a hold of the money, when the money starts to get a hold of us, and if only we had a little bit more, then I'd be happy. We started to chase that dollar. And then we, if only I had a little bit more, if only I had this, if only I had that, if only I looked like that. The deceitfulness of riches. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that that thing doesn't get a hold of your life. There's nothing wrong with money in itself. It's the love of money. It's greed. I want this, I want that. I've got to have this. Once you get caught up in that cycle, you become a captive again. The deceitfulness of riches. See, the thing is about this, pressure and tough times reveal what our soul really desires. When something uh gets taken away from us. You soon find out what's really in the soul. If somebody really has an attachment there. If all of a sudden you face a pressured time, those pressure times will find when the fire comes on, when the heat comes on, you'll find out what's really in your soul. If it's significance you're looking for, if your position gets taken away, it really shows what's up in your heart. Even as Christians, we can still become captive to these things. And that is the thing about deception, is this, that you don't know you're being deceived. Until somebody speaks and challenges, and then you get all upset. That's a sure indication that somebody's just been caught into bondage. The wilderness, the lust of your eyes. See, the thing is that in Psalm 106, verse 15, David said, God gave them the desires of their heart. A lot of the time, we, I believe we can pray for all these different things, but actually our motivation for praying is often kept secret. So The Bible says that God gave the Israelites the desires of their hearts, but also sent leanness into their soul. They got what they prayed for, but they got something else as well. A leanness into the soul. Very, very opposite from what John, John says in, in 3 John 2. It says, as your soul prospers, Let me ask you this question today. What is the condition of your soul? Is there leanness in your soul? Or is there an overflow out of your soul? The difference is one is skimpy, there's nothing in it. The other is your soul prospers. It means there's an overflow out of your soul. When was the last time you invited somebody home for dinner? When was the last time you, you just shouted somebody out? When was the last time you were generous to somebody without having any strings attached? The Bible says, it uh, talks about a generous man and by his generosity, uh, he will stand. What is the condition of your soul? Is there an overflow of life coming out of your soul? Is there an overflow of joy coming out of your soul? Is there an overflow of hope? Is there an overflow of peace coming out into your soul? Is there an overflow of positivity coming out, into, out of your soul? When was the last time you even smiled? Us as Christians, full of the joy of the Lord, but for some, sad. Always grizzling and complaining about this and that and trivial things. Leanness in the soul. But God has called you and I to be people with an abundance. David said that my cup runneth over. Surely in goodness will follow me all of the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. There's an overflow of the well of the kingdom of God inside of him. His soul isn't clogged up with the concerns and the worries of the world or anything like that. But there's an overflow of joy. There's an overflow of hope. There's an overflow of generosity into people. Very, very easy test. When was the last time we were generous to somebody? When was the last time you were generous to somebody that you think didn't deserve it? Generosity. See, Jesus talked about generosity a lot in the Bible. Cornelius's generosity to the poor counted him righteous. How tight are you with your resources? How tight are you with your, with your time, with your, with your stuff, with your money, with your resources, whatever you have, with your love? I'm not saying be free love. <laughs> but it's just the fact of opening up your heart to people. How generous are you with... Your soul. Just as your soul prospers. So the wilderness, it's a place of captivity. The lust of the eyes. The last one here talks about Babylon. The pride of life. A third place of captivity. The pride of life. The pride of life. It says here in 2 Kings chapter 24 that the Israelites have once again taken their focus off the Lord started to get their focus off the house to the Lord. They got brought into captivity, and, and the, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he got the king of Judah. The Bible says he got the king of Judah and, and bought him in, in, in chapter 12, and he bought the, the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner, the king of Judah, the place of praise, the place of worship. Praise got brought into a place of captivity. And in 13, he says, and he carried out from there, carried out from from Judah, all of the treasures of the house of the Lord. And all the treasures of the king's house, which he had cut in pieces, all the articles of gold. So this temple that Solomon had built that, that, that amazed the queen of Sheba, all of those things got in cut to bits. Cut to bits all the articles of gold. Verse 14, he carried into captivity all of Jerusalem. And all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and all the the smiths, none remained in the land except the poorest people. And he carried the king captive into Babylon. And he carried the king's mother. And he carried the king's wives and his officers. And the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the valiant men, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the smiths, 1,000, who were strong and fit for war, all these people, the king of Babylon, bought into captive. This is the people of God. This was uh, the chosen people of God that they got carried away by a different cause. They got carried away by a different spirit. Not just the wealth. The wealth of the house was taken. The wealth that was meant to to give glory to God, was taken brought into captivity. The talented leaders, the, the, the ones that, that the God had sent in the house to, to bring leadership into the community, instead of being sent in the house and bringing leadership and, and hope into the community, they were taken captive by a different spirit. All the captains and all the wives and all the, all the craftspeople, all the people that that God had set into the place to to make his temple, to make his house great, brought into captivity. How many people in the house of the Lord today, how many people in, in, in this house, how many people in the house of the Lord in general today have been brought into captivity by a different spirit? We all read in the Bible that this happened uh, you know, 4,000 years ago, but the same thing is happening today. The church, the house of God, should be overflowing with wealth, not to just to uh, say how good we are, but, uh, but so we can invest and so we can break the spirit of poverty in our community. What about all the men and women of war that, that God had, had equipped and trained for battle to, to bring freedom into, the, into, the, into our cultures and to our communities? What's happened to them all? All caught away by different spirits. And it's all very well to say that happened back then, but it's happening today, church. That is the very thing about deception. You don't know that you're being deceived. What does Babylon talk about? Babylon talks about the pride of life. Uh, Something that lures you away from the Lord's house. Something that lures you away. A different spirit, a different cause starts to get around your life and starts to hook you this way. It's always been there. It happened there with Eve. Eve. Many times we think we're immune from that. Friends, no, no, no. No, we're not. See, the Bible talks about that. Lucifer was one of the, he was one of the chief archangels around the throne of God. But something arose in his heart. A spirit of pride arose in his heart and he decided that he was better. Arrogance got inside of his heart. He started to allow a different uh, a different cause, something different to... Uh, to take a hold of his heart. If it can happen to him, it doesn't matter, my friends, if you see angels. It doesn't matter if you can prophesy the greatest prophecies. It doesn't matter whether you can do miracles or whatnot. It, doesn't, it matters nothing. That is the thing about the, about the spirit of this age. It comes upon anyone. It produces an attitude of, I'm better than you. I was stunned by, I just got really, really challenged by seeing the, the great Im- imam, the, the man who's got the second largest mosque in all of Asia or even the world, 100,000 people in his mosque. I was stunned that he would show, he would come from a different country and come to a, a Pentecostal Christian church and allow a, a Christian pastor from New Zealand to lay a hands on him and pray for him. That, my friends is a demonstration of a bigness of heart. That is a demonstration of humility, and this is from a Muslim man. When you start to look at the attitude that many of us in the world that we live in today, the attitude that often sits in our heart, that we've got the corner on what God is doing. So the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. A lot of people, even in the Christian world, Use their knowledge, or use—they have great understanding of the Bible, or they can quote you all these scriptures and talked about all these different revelations. But actually, what's projected from that is that I'm a better than you. And if it happened to the Lucifer, yeah, doesn't—that means that you're not exempt from that. Means that I'm not exempt from that. I got deeply challenged as I drove down the streets of. of Pakistan, and even walking down the streets here, you see some of our see some of the Somalians, and we see the, the different cultures that come into our place. And we, we look in our own city and we, we look at all the different people there. Very, very easy for this attitude to rise up in our heart that we're better than them. And I felt that God speak to me Do you think that you're any closer to me than any of these people? Do you think I love you more than any of these other people here? Nope. I may be a pastor, but I'm still of value to Jesus Christ. They, they might be unsaved, but they're still of immense value to Jesus Christ. See, if you look at a $20 bill, a $20 bill is still a $20 bill. It's still worth $20. Whether it's in my pocket, whether it's in your pocket, whether I find it in the gutter, whether I find it in the hands of a drug dealer, it's still worth 20 bucks. Just because you think it's in my pocket, do you think it's any better? No. See, so we have a fascination today with power. We have a fascination with the supernatural. The biggest trap, I believe, we could fall into is it goes to our head, and we think we get the corner of God. One of my favorite movies is Shooter. <laughs> you have seen that? Here? There's this redneck in there, and I've watched this thing a number of times. In fact, I've got it in my bag so I can watch it on my computer. He goes, just when you think you've got it all figured out, you're wrong. Just when you think you've got the corner on God, you're wrong. All of a sudden, you just something will come out of the blue. The thing about the Babylon, it's the pride of life. It's the pursuit of knowledge. It's the, it's the pursuit of the honor and titles of the world arrogance. He's all right. He can. What is it that has got around you? Is that spirit? Have you been led away by a different cause? Friends, if it's not, if, you're not, if your direction is not towards the house of the Lord, something is leading you into captivity somewhere. But the Bible says this. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Whoever is born of God, However, that means anyone, whether you're in this place, whether you're out of this place, whether you're in another church, the Bible says that whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Friends, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you with this today. If you want to be the church that that the gates of hell will not prevail against, if you want to be that, that part of the church or the part of the body of Christ, that strong and powerful the one that Jesus Christ spoke of, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. First thing we must do is make sure that our direction is set towards the house of God. If it's not towards the house of God, it is leading you into bondage somewhere. But praise God, the Bible says that whatever the Bible says here, that we are, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. My encouragement to you today, friends, as if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Friend, let your focus, let your attention, let your direction be towards the presence, towards the house of the Lord. That is the first thing you must have around your life in order to be a powerful church. For me, I'm going to use this time to set, reset my direction, reset my focus. I encourage you today, if you're in a place right now, I encourage you to have a look at your own life. Do some self-examination and ask yourself, really, which direction is my life heading in? Is my life centered around the presence in the house of God? Or have I been lured away into captivity somewhere? Maybe it's captive back into Egypt. Maybe it's captive into the wilderness. Maybe it's captive by the pride of life. There's no way we'll be the church that God has called us to be while we're still captive. It's your direction in life which is paramount. Why don't you just close your eyes right now?